So a reporter was once sent to interview this couple who were multi-multi-billionaires. And she had one task, and that was to find out how they had come to such riches so quickly. And so she asked him the question, how have you had such success? And so the husband begins, and he says, well, when we first got married, we had nothing. We literally just had one brand to our name. So we went down to the market and we bought one apple. And then we polished it and polished it and polished it until it was the best looking apple in the entire market. And then we sold it for two rand. The reporter curious says, and then what happened? And the wife continued, she says, well then we took two apples and we polished them and we polished them and we polished them until they were the best looking apples in the entire market and we sold them for two rand each. So we had four rand, four times our initial investment. The reporter, now a bit apprehensive as to how long the story may take, says, and then what happened? To which the husband replies, well, then my wife's uncle died and left us billions. <laughs> I love this joke so much, and perhaps the, the reason I love it so much is because it reminds me of an incredible biblical truth. And that truth is this, it's not always about what we can do, but who we are connected to. And when we are connected to Jesus, when we are connected to his spirit, it is simply being connected to him that qualifies us to do incredible things. And we see this so clearly in our reading for today. As we begin our Acts series, I'm reading to you from Acts chapter 3, from verse 1 to verse 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his full attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, they helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to beg at the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'm so grateful for God's word to us this morning. And I want you, maybe as you do, to imagine with me life from that beggar's perspective. You see, he had spent his entire life, his entire life from birth in suffering. His entire life, he could not move. Every day of his life until this moment, he was completely at the mercy of others. He would go wherever they would carry him. He would be put in the same place every single day and be forced to stare at the beautiful gate that he could never actually walk through. unable 
to fend for himself, completely confined to whatever circumstance he was dropped off in. And perhaps at a point in his life, he had some hope. See, perhaps he had heard of the one called Jesus who was walking around the very town he lived in, who could heal in one word. And perhaps at a time in his life, he used to wish and hope and long for the day that Jesus would walk past him so that he could cry out for healing, so that he could be restored. But that hope had, had vanished because they had crucified Christ. And so now he had dropped his expectations. Instead of hoping for healing, he simply pleaded for some spare change. His entire life's purpose had come down to this, simply getting enough money to survive for the day. Little did he know that God was still on the move. God still heals. As we study the story, I'm just so overwhelmed by the fact that the fundamental truth we receive from it is that the healing work of Jesus was not confined to his ministry on earth. God still heals. In fact, all over the rest of the New Testament, we see instances where God heals. But, but even beyond the Testament, the New Testament, God's work of healing is current and active. We see this as the fathers of our faith testify to God's healing work that though the canon of scripture had ended, God was still on the move. God was still healing. Oregon is quoted as saying that in the name of Jesus, diseases flee. Augustine is quoted of saying something similar where he says, in Jesus' name, the blind can see. Our story at Norfield is another testament to this. We have been privileged enough over the years to see incredible miracles take place, to see healing take place. And perhaps you have a personal testimony. Maybe you can even take a moment to share it with everyone in the comments. But one of the seasons that sticks out for me the most was, I don't know if you remember this, it, I think the first time he visited was in about 2006. I was in matric, where the father, Mike Endicott, came from the healing well in Wales. And he blessed our community deeply. And I wasn't privileged enough to attend the conference, but I remember sitting at youth, and hearing these incredible stories of how God healed people. And I was absolutely wrecked, thinking, oh my goodness, is this real? How real must God be that he still works in incredible miracles? And the stories were wild. We heard about how disease disappeared, how there was even a testimony of someone's limb growing back how hope was restored, and it took place in this very sanctuary. God still heals. Since that moment, I have been privileged enough to witness God's healing firsthand. I've been privileged enough to, to, to see with my own eyes how God has healed bones to the extent where doctors cannot reconcile two sets of x-rays that were taken weeks apart. 
I've seen how the Spirit has ministered to the youth in our community, how he has given them a purpose and filled them with courage and healed their identities and restored their peace. I've seen on the mission field how God has moved powerfully and liberated and set free in an instant people who have been bound their whole life because God still heals. And so may this story ignite something within us that stops us from being content with a mountaintop kind of theology. And what I mean by that is that we gather often, the Western church has has this tendency to do this, to, to gather every week on our mountaintops and learning about all the incredible things God has in the valley for us. Learning about the peace and the healing and the hope that he has for us. And so we learn about these things and, and, and we are informed about these things and then we worship and give God thanks for the incredible gifts that he has for us. The incredible things that he has promised us. And we praise him for his fruits and for the wonderful river that we can drink from. And then we go home content with the information. Remaining unchanged, just knowing a bit more about God. What God's desire for our lives is that we would climb down from that mountain, that we would get in the valley ourselves, that we would eat from his fruit, that we would drink from that river of life so that we too can be healed and we too can be restored. Because here's the thing, God wants so much more for our lives than just being confined and limited by our pain. Just as with that beggar, he doesn't want us to live restricted any longer. He wants us to receive healing because our lives were made for so much more. Our purpose was never supposed to be about just getting enough money every month to survive the world. God has not called us to survive the world. God has called us to be agents who bring change to the world. Because that's the wonderful second thing this story teaches me. Not only does God still heal, but God has called all of us to be the vessels he uses to bring healing to this world. Isn't that an incredible privilege? All throughout the Gospels, we are inundated with the different ways that Jesus heals people. Uh, He gave sight to the blind. He gave and restored dignity to the oppressed. He, he loved the outcast. He, he brought hope and he brought healing in many different ways, sometimes physical, sometimes practical, sometimes emotional. And then he makes these profound statements all throughout the Gospels where he says things like, as I have done, so you must do. I have given you an example that you should follow or for those who believe in me, he will do even greater things than this. And once in the Gospel of Matthew, he actually makes this very blatant instruction. He says, heal the sick, give sight to the blind. Freely you have received, now freely give. Jesus is saying to us that my work on earth is not finished yet. So I'm calling my disciples, I'm calling my followers to continue my work of healing. My hands, your hands will become my hands. Your feet will become my feet. Your voice will become my voice. Your heart will become my heart. Jesus was telling his followers 
that he wanted them to be the people who would put an end to all kind of pain, physical pain, emotional pain, and hunger pains. While Jesus was on earth, he was writing a healing story to this world. And then, before his ascension, he handed the pen to his disciples. And he said, my story isn't over. Keep writing. And this moment in the book of Acts is a profound and significant moment for the church of Christ because it is the moment where his disciples took Jesus literally, where they took that pen and continued writing the healing story. And here's the thing. Jesus has handed us the same pen. We are his church. We are his followers. And his story is not finished. He has called us to be part of his healing story to this world. He says in his book that we are his co-laborers. Don't you think that's an incredible privilege? That the God of the universe who could choose to work in any way decides to work with us, to partner with us, to work in us and through us to bring healing to this world. Another time in the scriptures we read, Paul says that we are Christ's ambassadors. Now contextually speaking, an ambassador was someone who was sent from Rome, a Roman citizen sent from Rome to one of the foreign cities that Rome had conquered with one purpose. The purpose of the ambassador was to change the culture of that city so that when the emperor came to visit, he felt like he was at home. We are Christ's ambassadors. And our purpose is to change the culture of this world so that earth starts to feel a lot more like heaven. We have been called. And we have an incredible purpose. We have a design, divine destiny. We are God's plan to bring healing to this world. Isn't that a privilege? And what I love so much about the story is it unpacks some very practical tools that empower us on how to go about this. And the first is simply this, to say no to apathy. Say no to apathy. Once a year, I have the privilege of sharing a dorm with 10 other girls as we go on our leadership camp uh, in the southern, southern coast. And it is wonderful, the time of fellowship is wonderful, the chatting is wonderful, but there's one part of the experience that is awful, and that is the bathroom. <laughs> you see, as I'm sure you can imagine, Brad, my phone started ringing. <laughs> Gosh, what is happening? Yeah, once a year. And put my phone on silent. Once a year, I have the privilege of sharing a dorm with 10 other girls on our leadership camp that happens on the South Coast. And it's very awesome, except for one aspect, the bathroom. 10 girls, five nights, one bathroom. That is a lot of traffic over the bathroom mat, as I'm sure you can imagine. By the second day, that mat is totally saturated. It is awful. When you stand on it, it kind of feels like it absorbs you into the core of the earth. 
And I wish I could stand here and say that I did something about it, but that is not true. You see, what I found that I tend to do is take shower after shower after shower, thinking the same thought. That is so disgusting. I wonder why none of the other girls are hanging it up to dry. And yet none of us did. For five days, we all just thought the same thing. Someone else will do it. One of the most dangerous weapons that the enemy of this world uses against the church is not to make us evil, but to make us apathetic. To make us apathetic. The philosopher John Mill once said that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. And there is an army of apathy that is rising up even within the midst of our church It is rising up and it's marching against the will of Christ. And we must each individually make a decision to to stand against it. To stand against it and choose instead to do something. When we see a need, to fill it. Instead of waiting for someone else to. If that bathroom mat teaches me anything, it is not enough to simply know that something is wrong and desire change. But we have to act and cause change. God has called us to act and cause change. That is why in his scriptures he constantly calls the church to rise up. Peter and John didn't just see a need and offer sympathy. They didn't turn a blind eye. They saw that there was pain and they did what they could to bring about healing. And I believe God has called us to do the same. Another tool this story teaches me is that we must be willing to pause our agendas for his. And I'm not sure if you noticed, but Peter and John were not just casually meandering around town looking for someone to heal. That was not their mission for the day. They They were busy, they were on their way to something specific. They had a prayer meeting to get to that started on precisely the ninth hour, or as our text in the NIV version says, at 3 p.m. And there are many people who believe that the timing of this prayer was of incredible significance for them. And the reason it was so significant for them was because the ninth hour, 3 p.m., was when the Gospel of John records that our Savior gave his final cry on the cross, where he said, it is finished. And it is very possible that Peter and John believed this was a very significant hour, and that this moment of prayer was the moment where they would remember the sacrifice of their friend. And so getting there on time, was of importance to them. And while they were on route, they hear a man call for help and they have a decision to make. Would they rush on with their mission for the day or would they pause and allow God's mission to take preference? One of the tragedies in living in such a fast-paced society is that we often become so overwhelmed with our agendas that it's very easy to miss what God is doing, to miss the times in our day where God is asking us to pause and partner with him to bring about the healing of someone else. 
Peter and John did not fall into that trap. They paused, they prayed, and then they picked the man up. It was as simple as that. And that leads me to the third tool that I received from the story, and that is simply this. It is not supposed to be complicated. (laughs) It is supposed to be simple. If this story teaches us anything, it's that great moves of God are often preceded with simple acts of obedience. God is the one who did the healing. Peter and John just had to pause and then pray. They just had to do what they could do. They just had to give what they could give. Peter says it quite plainly. He said, I don't have silver and gold to give you, but I can do what I can do. I can give what I can give. May we not overcomplicate the work of God to such a degree that we feel unqualified to do it. God asks us to do what we can, not what we can't. Heidi Baker, who is the founder of Irish Global Ministries, um, that is a mission organization that's international and it has grown over the years in leaps and bounds. And through this organization, hundreds of thousands of people are fed, educated, and equipped every single day. It's a massive success. And every single time someone asks Heidi what her strategy for mission has been, her response is always the same. She says these words, we just stop for the one. It's not supposed to be complicated. We just stop for the one. It's not supposed to be complicated. May we know this morning that God has simply called us to stop for the one and to do what we can, whether it's the beggar or the teen struggling with their identity or the widow who is alone on her birthday or the family member struggling with mental health or an addiction issue, if it's your co-worker going through a difficult season or the person sitting next to you who is suffering from a physical pain and requires a healing prayer. No matter what it is, God wants to use us in profound ways. God wants to use us in simple ways. And God wants to use us in profoundly simple ways. May we never underestimate the impact you can make just through kindness. Simply making someone a cup of coffee or giving them an encouraging word or letting them know how much you appreciate them. The simplest act done in divine timing can be healing to someone, can be healing to someone. And lastly, and most importantly, may we remember that it is the Spirit that enables this work. You see, this story happens in Acts chapter 3, but in Acts chapter 2, there is a very significant event that takes place that enables the entire book of Acts, that without this event, the entire book of Acts would be empty. You see, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came at the time of Pentecost and filled the followers of Jesus and enabled them and equipped them to be the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. Suddenly, they were able to do what they could never do before and be who they could never be before. Suddenly, they could see Jesus, see people through Jesus' eyes, and they had incredible compassion. And it is so important that we get this. May we never overlook the significance of this moment because trying to follow God's principles without the power 
of his presence will lead to burnout. It will lead to burnout. Trying to follow God's mandate without the infilling of a spirit is much like receiving a car as a gift and then pushing it around everywhere you go. It becomes more of a burden than a blessing. The spirit is like the fuel that we fill our tanks with. And when we are full, we don't have to do much work at all. We simply just show up and push the pedal and the car gets us there. The car gets us there. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. May we always remember, it's not about what we can do or what we have to offer, because at best we are a limited resource. It's about who we're connected to. And so we do not serve in our own strength, but with his. We do not pray in our own power, but with his. We do not plan with our own wisdom, but with his. When we try and engage in God's mission without the infilling of the Spirit, the result is always the same. It is empty, tiring, and temporary. It is empty, it is tiring, it is temporary. And it leads us to feeling joyless, passionless, and bitter. May we not continue to strive in our own strength and choose to be filled instead. Because no matter how good our intentions are, we were created to be co-laborers with Christ, not the CEO. Not the CEO. If you have felt in your spirit that you have become a little bit more irritable than usual, and perhaps you feel a little bit less tolerant or a little bit less compassionless, passionless. Maybe you feel as if this journey that you're on has started to feel more like a burden than a blessing. Then may you know this morning that it's not because you're broken and it's not because you're bad. It's probably just because you're empty. Life has this tendency especially when we go through trials, it has a tendency of emptying us, which is why Paul tells us to go on being filled with the Spirit. It was not a once-off event. And so Jesus constantly invites us towards himself. He says, climb down from that mountain. Climb down from the mountain. You don't need to know more things. You need to climb down from the mountain and drink from my river. And this morning, may today be the day that we hear the invitation of Jesus saying, come to me, you who are burdened and tired and weary. Come to me, you who are thirsty. And may we choose to answer him and drink deeply from his river so that we can be healed, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be refreshed, and so the passion in us can be awakened again. May we choose to come to him so that we can be equipped, so that we can be part of this movement, because God is on the move. God has not stopped moving. God is moving through whatever room you're in right now, and he calls us to join the movement. May today be the day we say yes to that call. Jesus says, many are called, but few make the choice.
May today be the day we decide to be part of that few. Amen.